Amen. Thank you, Brother Moore. I'd like to welcome you here tonight. Welcome those that are joining us in our media programs. And uh, like I said, I hope this is a blessing to you. I got a title tonight, and it may be kind of strange. And those that have been here before, when I filled in, know that that's a habit with me. I like to give you strange titles just to pique your interest, keep you paying attention to what's going on. And it's called, It's In Between. What is it, and what is it, what's it in between? That's what I'm going to be talking about. And uh, I'll get to that in a moment here. As a way of introduction, uh, you know, the world today, Brother Moore mentioned it, we have many false beliefs. We have a lot of false teachers. We have a lot of false churches. And one of those biggest lies that we have seen, I've run into here in the past few months several times, and that's what put the burden on my heart to talk about this, is that we can be saved by God, and then we can lose that salvation if we disobey God. And that's a great lie. That's not only a lie, that's blaspheming God, saying he cannot do what he said he would do. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, is the security of the believer. I hope to show you by the word of God that this security of the believer is absolutely taught in the word of God. And it comes from a misunderstanding of who God is. Not knowing who God is, or not caring who God is, misinterpreting who God is, or just deceiving people. But the fact is, God is sovereign. And it's been mentioned tonight already, it's sovereign grace. He is sovereign in all things, but he is certainly sovereign in salvation, which includes his sovereign grace. Of course, this is a sovereign grace church. We preach sovereign grace, we teach sovereign grace, and we believe in sovereign grace. There's no other way it can be. So we'll, we'll go into that, and I'll look at that. <clears throat> a little subtitle of this, I guess a subtopic as part of it, uh, is, you know, it's, it is in between, but what is it in between? I say saved, saved, saved. You're saved before the foundation of the world in the mind of God. You're saved now by the grace of God. And you're saved throughout eternity by the sovereignty of God. Because he is eternal. God is eternal in all his attributes. He's also sovereign in all his attributes. And I can't go through all of his attributes tonight. Two of them I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about his sovereignty and his sovereignty and salvation. And in those two things, it's included and can be seen and can be shown that the believer can be secure and that once he is saved, he's always saved. He cannot lose your salvation. And the Bible is very clear about that. And I'll point that out as we go. First, I'm going to talk about God's sovereignty in general. God's sovereign in salvation. And because he is sovereign in salvation and sovereign overall, that we're saved, we have eternal security. And we cannot be lost again. First, God's sovereignty. Look in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. 
I'm not going to go through the whole book of Genesis. I might call a couple of other verses in mind here. But the very first verse. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God created the heaven and the earth. And most certainly we would think that if God created it, he controls it. He's in charge of it. That there is, he is all-powerful, that nothing can stay his hand. We'll look at that as we go through this. But the world hates that very first verse. The world has been trying its best ever since it was written to change that. Our world today is trying its best to identify the world and explain the world, explain the universe without God. Lately on the internet, I'll say it in a minute, on the internet you've seen, if you've looked at it, you've seen a lot of pictures and stories and things from the big new telescope they got out there and talking about lights that they find out there that are billions of years away and it took billions of years for the light to get here and, and how old the universe is. They think it's older now than it was before now and, and all these things. And nothing is said about God. Nothing is said about God. They don't understand that God can do all things. When he created the universe, he put everything in place. Then, it was there in the beginning. And the earth was created first, according to the Bible. It says, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. And then we go through there, the first day was the light, the second day was the firmament, third day was the land and the vegetation, fourth day was the heavenly bodies. So four days after the earth was created, all the heavenly bodies were put in place. What are the heavenly bodies? We're talking about the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the whatever planets is out there. They were created after the earth was and put in place. The light was created before the sun was created. Hmm, wonder how that happened. Because God is God. You know. But our world today wants to put out their evolution. Everything's evolution. Everything's billions of years old. Evolution, evolution took billions of years to happen. And then we all come from pond scum. But they can't explain how in the records, if you look at that, all of a sudden there was life. Before that, there was none. Well, why'd that happen? Because God created it all at one time, within days. So that there, to me, should settle the question, but it don't. They try to explain it away, say it's just a myth, just a story. But God created the heaven and the earth. So he's in control and is sovereign of it. Look in Genesis 6, 7. <clears throat> now this is about 2,000 years after creation. <clears throat> and this is the Lord. And this was recorded here. And he said, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me 
that I made them. He doesn't repent as man. He was just changing the way he was dealing with man. And it was planned all before. It was nothing to surprise to God. He knows everything from the beginning. He says he knows the end from the beginning. In verse 8, here we find the first mention of this word. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We're going to talk about grace, but we're going to talk about sovereign grace. God's grace is only given, his saving grace is only given to his chosen people, to his elect. It's not given to everybody. Mercy, on the other hand, is given to everybody. Mercy is over everything. If you're here today and you're saved, you're here by the grace of God. If you're not saved, you're here by the mercy of God. God extends life to everyone. He extends rain upon the good and the evil. His mercies are unlimited. And even our lives, if you're alive today and you're not saved, it's by the mercy of God. But if you're saved, it's by the choice of God, of the elect, from the beginning of time. And we'll look at that. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now this was not because Noah was a good man. It was not because Noah followed the the laws of God. It was not because Noah deserved it. If you deserve something and you get it, it's not grace. Grace is given to those that do not deserve it. Not by their merit, but by their demerit. And you must understand... And we will read about this, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, so no one deserves it. And if you have it, it's because of God's grace that we have that. <clears throat> look in Ephesians 1, 11. We're going to look at a lot of verses today, tonight. Hopefully we can get through them all. It says in verse 11 of chapter 1, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, and note this, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now that all here is without exception. It's not that way everywhere in the Bible. But here it is without exception. And his own will. This is talking about God. In verse 12 it says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I'll read some more of Ephesians here later on. Look in Romans 11, 36. Actually, Romans 11, 33 first. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Romans. We'll get back to the different verses in that in a minute. <clears throat> Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That describes a sovereign God. 
we can't understand everything about God. You know, if I could stand up here and explain everything about God, God wouldn't be God. Because his ways, the Bible says, his ways are unsearchable. We can't know everything about God. And sometimes things happen in this world. We live in a sinful world. Things happen we don't like. Things happen we wish didn't happen. Things happen that we don't understand at all. And things happen, people want to use it and say, well, if God was in control, that wouldn't happen at all. But see, the thing is, what they forget is they don't understand God. They don't know God. And they don't understand that he is a sovereign God and he's in control and all things are according to his will, his plan and his purpose, not ours. Look in verse 36 of that same chapter. And it tells us, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And there it again, all things. There's nothing that God is not sovereign of. God, it's been said this way, God is sovereign of all or he's not sovereign at all. His sovereignty means he is in absolute control of everything. There's something I'm going to read about the sovereignty of God here. If you want to understand God, there's two little books besides the Bible that helps us because the writer of this book, Arthur W. Pink, he uses a lot. He uses the Bible to back up everything that he says. But the little book of sovereignty of God and his other book, The Attributes of God, you read those two books about 10 or 15 times each, (laughs) you will start getting an understanding of who God is. I can't tell you how many times I've read them. You can tell this thing's kind of beat up pretty bad. But I want to read what he says, what we mean by the expression sovereignty of God here. And what he says is, we mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the most high, doing according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, so that none can say, stay his hand, or say unto him, what doest thou? That comes from Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat his counsels thwart his purpose or resist his will. Psalms 115.3 To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor among the nations. That's in Psalms 22.28 Setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, and determining the council of dynasties as pleases him best. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the only potentate, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. Part of that is in one of our songs tonight. And we read that in 1 Timothy 6.15. Such is the God of the Bible, he says. That's just one little paragraph in this whole big book. (laughs) Of who God is. He is sovereign. And to just say that and dismiss it and don't think about it. We think about a lot of things happen. It's not in his control, but it's all in his control. Look in Psalms 39, 9. 
This is a Psalm of David. And he's talking about the Lord here and what he has done in his life and the things he's done. And some people complain about him. But he says in verse 9, I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Now, he's not saying that he's not smart. That's not what he means by dumb. It means he kept his mouth shut. Because <laughs> he understood that it was God that did it. When we shouldn't complain. Be careful about complaining about what God has done. Because he's in control. He has a plan. He has a purpose for it. <clears throat> and here's a good one right here in First Chronicles 29. First Chronicles, not Second Chronicles. First Chronicles 29. I think this is last chapter in there. Yeah. And we'll look at the, uh, 9 through 11, I believe. <clears throat> it says, Then the people rejoiced, for they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they have offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with, the, with great joy. Wherefore David blessed the Lord because of all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. And then this is the key verses here. The key verses, verse 11 and 12, actually. Thine, O Lord, is the greatest greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou are exalted as head above all. It says, Both riches and honor come to thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is also to make great and to give strength to all. <coughs> then look at Daniel 4.35. We already read about that, that none could stay his hand. And look at 1 Timothy 6.15. Fifteen and sixteen. And Paul writes to Timothy here, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto can, can approach unto, whom no man has seen, nor can see, to whom be honor power everlasting. Amen. So it's not just in one place in the Bible. I think you will find that if you go through the Bible that practically on every page you can see the sovereignty of God displayed in what he has done and the way he has controlled things and what is going on in the scripture. You don't, now when you think about the sovereignty of God you know, the word sovereignty does not appear in the Bible. It just defines what it is. And so we can see what it is that he is sovereign. 
book in Psalms 115.3, we had already mentioned that too, that none can resist his power. God's sovereignty characterizes the whole being of God. You cannot separate his sovereignty from any part of God. You cannot separate it from any of his attributes. He exercised his sovereignty in all his attributes and the exercise of his power. Being the almighty God, he is sovereign in how he exercises that power. The first reading of the Bible, we saw his him exercising that power in creating the universe from nothing. Yet people will say that God is not sovereign. What they want to propose most of the time that he's in control of most things, but he's not in control of me. I decide what I do. It's my will. I have a free will. I can be saved if I want to or not be saved if I want to. That's a big lie. That's a big lie. Because what I'm going to show you now is God's sovereignty and salvation. It's not according to the will of man. It's according to the will of God. Look in Psalms 110.3. Talking about the the sovereignty of God and salvation specifically. Remember I said he's sovereign in all things. Salvation is just one of them. But he has many attributes. His love, his mercy, his grace, his, his goodness... His kindness, his faithfulness, all of that is according to God's sovereignty. So in Psalms 110, I'll get there in a minute, verse 3, what does it say there? This begins us off. This is how well, part of how, anyway, God saves a sinner. That's what we're looking at. Now, the God's sovereignty and how he saves a sinner, his salvation and so his sovereignty and salvation points directly to our security. And here's the first thing. It says, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And the beauties of holiness from, his, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth key there is we become willing in his hour of power. He changes that. God doesn't change in, doesn't save anybody that is unwilling to be saved. But did you know there's none that is willing to be saved? I'll show you that in a minute. He changes their will and makes them willing. So then they are willing to be saved. They're not only willing, they want to be. They have to be. They desire to be. They can't be anything but saved when God, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and gives them that new birth. <clears throat> John three twenty seven. I'm sorry if, you, if you're getting sore fingers from all this turning of scriptures, but <clears throat> and we're going to look at John three and 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 uh, later on here in just a moment too. But right now, look at verse 27. This is John the Baptist speaking. It said, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. That was mentioned this morning by our speaker this morning. So there is saying, you can't receive that salvation 
except it be given from heaven. And we're going to see how that is done in a moment too. Look in Ephesians 2, 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 are, are some of my favorite passages in the Bible. And we're going to look more of this at Ephesians in a moment. But right now look at the third verse, second chapter. And this is talking about the children of wrath. It says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That means all have sinned, and we'll see that in a minute. And Jonah 2 9. Not a very big book. But this is, everybody knows the story of Jonah. And this is in the beginning, before Jonah had been put, in, put on the ship and all this type of stuff. And, and, uh, Ended up in the belly of the whale and all that. This is where God is, is uh, he's speaking with God. And this is what Jonah says, says. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. And will pay that that I have vowed. And then he confesses this. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Look in Romans 8. We're going to spend some time in Romans here now. There's a whole lot in here, and I, and, and I apologize. i got too much to talk about, too big a topic to try to cover in one sermon. I probably need about a year to cover all this stuff. But I'm going through it very fast. I'm trying to hit the highlights here. Look 8, verse 11. I'm going to look at more of this chapter in a moment. Actually, I'm going to back up to 10, and I might not read it later on. But it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place. That is Romans 3, which we're going to get to in a minute. Sometimes my glasses make 8s and 3s look like the same thing to me. I knew that wasn't the right one when I read it there. Okay. <clears throat> Romans eight eleven through 14. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But we, but if you... Th- through the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now it says, as many as are led by the Spirit. Not as many that decide to be saved. Not as many that make the decision. Not as many that, you know, claim Christianity. You know, there's a lot of False teachings out there, like I said, and a lot of false churches. And there's a lot of false Christians. Some of them are deceived. And some of them are just deceiving 
others claim to be Christians when actually they are not. That's where some of these people get that you can be saved one day and lost the next. Because they, well, look at that person. He he went up and he uh, confessed Christ. He was baptized in the church. And then we're never seeing him again. So he's bound to be lost. Well, he probably is. But he was never saved to start with, if he is. Now, there's no misunderstanding here. You can be saved and you can backslide, and you can be, lose your fellowship with God. But you can't lose your relationship with God. God disciplined those. He said he disciplined every son he receives. So we all come under the disciplining hand of God, or chastening hand of God, at some time or another, because we're not perfect. We're a long ways from perfect. I speak of myself mostly. <laughs> long ways from perfect. Let's look in uh, Romans 9 while we're here. And probably the most concise and maybe the most clear teaching on the doctrine of sovereignty of God in salvation is found in Romans 9, chapter 9. And it's probably the most uh, neglected chapter in the Bible because preachers don't want to preach on it. They don't want to preach this. But this is what it says, starting in verse 11. It says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Not of works. Work, people that teach decisional regeneration are teaching a work of salvation. And Paul teaches plainly in Romans that if it's works, it can't be grace. Because grace and works do not mix. So if it's of works, it's all of works, not part works and part grace. On the other hand, if it's grace, it cannot be no works. Because it's either all grace or it's all works. It can't be both. And so those that readily admit that you're saved by grace, and they have to because the Bible tells us that, are completely erroneous when they say you can lose your salvation because you don't disobey God. In other words, you can't hang on to it. You've got to work to hang on to that salvation. Well, if you receive it by grace, it's by the grace of God. And him being almighty and sovereign, he can't lose it. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. <clears throat> Verse 12 says, It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, and as, and as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This is speaking toward God choosing his election. Verse 14, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, he says. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's God. He makes the choice. He makes the decision. If you don't talk about decisional regeneration, you have to talk about God's decision before the foundation of the earth. When he chose you by his election. And then this 16 
is one that just makes it very, very, very clear. You can't interpret this the wrong way, I don't think. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. But of God. But of God. Verse 17 says, For the scripture saith unto to, uh, Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now I want to skip down a little bit because we're running short on time here. In verse 23. Well, I'm going to do verse 22. It says, What if God willing to show his wrath to make his power known, endure which much, with much long-suffering or patience the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? Understanding what's going on in the world today and what has been going on in the world for a long time. All this sinful activity is going on. That's what he's talking about. In verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. I'll show you that in a minute. Then look in uh, 1 Peter 1 2. First Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 2. This is Paul, uh, Peter addressing <clears throat> uh, several different churches here in different places. But he says, he calls them this. Elect, addressing to the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Note there, the election comes before the sanctification by the Spirit. God's election is first, and then the sanctification of the Spirit. This foreknowledge, they want to try to explain that way and say, well, God knows everything. So he looked out there in the future and saw that who would accept his salvation that would accept the gospel and believe on Christ, he chose. That's not what it means at all. Not at all. This foreknowledge means that he foreknew you before the foundation of the world. Remember, Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. Who did he say that to? To all those that were false, claimed false Christianity. All those that come before him saying, have we not done this? Have we not done that? But he says, I have not, I did not know you. What did that mean? That's the same knowing as is here. This foreknowledge is foreknowing who that he would extend his grace to because of his choice of his election. Otherwise, elect doesn't mean anything, but elect is in the Bible over and over and over again. Now let's look at a couple of different things. Let's look at uh, the, and in all of this, rest, in between these things, <laughs> the security of the believer. 
Look in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. If I can find it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This speaks directly to the security of the believer. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If God saved you by his grace, through the faith, which is both a gift of him, He's going to keep you that way. He's going to keep you saved. That doesn't mean that you can't fall out of fellowship, like I said. And then he may discipline you. You know, God's discipline can go all the way up to taking you out of this world. The Bible shows that in several places where he done that. He can take you out of this world. He will not allow his name to be dug in the mud. But his discipline may go that far. But it says, perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If he called you, and he saved you, and he sanctified you, he gave you a new birth, he's going to perform what he said he would do. <clears throat> Look in Ephesians 2.1. Trying to get through these as quickly as I can. Verse 1. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. He quickened you. That is quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit and giving you the new birth. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is very familiar everyone but it says for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus also unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk therein so if we are not saved by works you cannot keep your salvation by works and you can't lose it by works. You can lose your fellowship and be under the discipline. But you can't lose that relationship with God. John 3, we're about to get down to the bottom here. I'm going pretty quick. John 3, I'm in the right chapter this time instead of 8. I'm in 3. John 3, verse 3. And this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When you're born again, what he's speaking of is a spiritual birth. And he explains that in verse 5. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of, born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now he's not talking about baptism. He's talking about natural birth and spiritual birth. Here. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Marvel not what I said unto you, you must be born again. And then there it talks about the sovereignty of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Father is sovereign, the Son is sovereign, and the Holy Spirit are sovereign in all their operations. Here it speaks of the Spirit. It says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the, wind, the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, or whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. If God has his elect in the world. I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. No one else knows who they are. Therefore, we have the commandment to go out and preach and teach to every creature. It is God that had made that choice. And that's the means he used is to draw his elect. It's mainly through the preaching of the word. But he also uses witnesses and uses his written word to do that. But it's mainly through the preaching of the word. I want you to look at uh, verse 36 here in John 3 while we're here. And this is what John writes. And this is not John the Baptist, this is John the Apostle. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I don't know what it means to you, but everlasting means that it never ends. So how can you be saved today and lost tomorrow? It wouldn't be everlasting life, would it? So you're saved and your security in that saved. Look at John chapter 6. I'm getting down there. Almost there. John chapter 6, verse 36 Let's look at verse 37. And all that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So if one has come to Christ, truly been saved, and come to Christ, he will not be cast out. So he cannot lose his salvation. <clears throat> and let's see. Well, I'm going to read on down here. It said, verse 38, For I... For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should rise it up at the last day. So if you're saved, you're not going to be lost. He's not going to lose anything. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and will raise him up at the last day. In verse 44, no man come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. That shows the purpose in the Father. In verse 65, and he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him by the Father. John chapter 10. Starting in verse 9, and I'll read a couple of other verses here. Verse 9, chapter 10, it says, I am the door, by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out, and find pasture. 
So if you come in by Christ, you're saved. That's the only way you can be saved. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So it's by the knowledge of Christ, he knows you. He knew you from before the foundation of the earth. That's the foreknowing. Verse 25. 25 through 30. I'll read them real quick. And Jesus answered, I told you, and you believe not. The work that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. So there are those that are not elect. The elect is not universal. It's not everybody. It wouldn't be election if it was. He chooses. He made the choice. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How do you know if you're elect? Some say, well, what if I want to be saved? I'm not of the elect. Well, the thing is, you would not want to be saved if you're not of the elect. You would not want to be saved if you're not of the elect. Verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That should settle it right there. I don't know how those that get around it can get around that. Once you're saved, you're saved. You're in God's hand. Nothing or no one can take you out of it. There's several other verses that go on that, but I'm not going to go into those right now. <clears throat> There's one other set of verses I want to read. Things in Romans chapter 8. Uh, no, I won't read those right now. I don't need to. I'm out of time anyway. But we can see that the three persons of the Trinity all in sympathy all work together in bringing one to salvation. First, God predestinated the ones to be saved. He chose us. He chose, made a choice. The Son was a propitiation. He died for us. And then Spirit in regeneration, he quickens us. They all work together. They're all sovereign in their operation. The good news is if you're saved, you're going to stay saved. You're going to be saved, saved, saved. Like I said, there's no other way about it. The good news also is, if you're not saved, if the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, and he's calling you, and he's giving you understanding, he's giving you a desire for Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. It's done outside of his power. It doesn't matter how sinful. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. But Paul was saved. So there's none too bad. And the Bible goes to show us there's none too stubborn or none of anything. It's by the will of God. It's not what we do or don't do. <clears throat> if, and I would say this in closing. If the Holy Spirit is dealing with you tonight and is calling you and is working in your life, you're going to be invited to come up and make your profession of faith. I'm just professing to you what the Word says. I'm not inviting you to be saved because the Holy Spirit does that. I'm saying if the Holy Spirit is working in your life and is calling you, that we will offer you the opportunity to confess him tonight. And I would say that God may bless, your, bless this word and that God be glorified in it. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace you have shown us, the goodness you have shown us, the faithfulness you have shown us, Lord. And thank you for your Son and Jesus Christ that he died for us on the cross. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that comes into our life, that gives us that new birth, Lord, whereas by that we have spiritual life. And by the spiritual life, we can communicate with you, and we have the desire to come to you, Lord. And we know that once we're saved, we will always be saved. It is in your hands, and we give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. If you'll turn to 323. 323.